some wisdom before we start. When I first moved back to Bemidji, I was told that it's not cold, it's good sleeping weather. So we have very good sleeping weather today. That's what I was told. That I, hadn't, I mean, I hadn't heard that term for a while. I've been away from Bemidji for a while, but uh, so everyone should sleep well tonight under their warm blanket. Uh, so it's just a great chance to see everybody today. It's always a challenge to see on a cold day, get out, see if your car starts, the excitement, kind of the rush. You got to look at it as adrenaline, you know, get junky about it. So, uh, but I want to talk about Christmas today, and I want to talk about what it means that Christ sent his son, or that uh, God sent his son in Christ. And what does that mean to us today? And one of the things I want to emphasize, as I was thinking about preaching on Christmas, most Christmas sermons are about Christmas Day. And you say, well, Pastor, that's really brilliant. They should be about Christmas Day when that makes sense. But as I was uh, studying this summer, I was challenged by some professors that I had that we need to preach on what it means that Christ came into the world. What it means beyond the fact that, that yes, he came as a baby, and sometimes we forget that he didn't stay a baby, that he came for a reason. He didn't come just to make a cute story for us. And so we could, uh, you know, have angels on trees and little babies and things like that. That's all great. But he came for a purpose. And what is the purpose of Christ's coming? Now, if you've watched any show, they've ripped off, usually in one episode, the, uh, the story of uh, Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life. And they'll have an actor or character on that show, and they'll say, what would have happened if that person wasn't born? And the person says, I'm so worthless, and, and uh, I, nothing good has ever come in my life. And then they show them that you had this impact here, you had this impact there. This person's alive today because of you, and things like that. And so today we want to talk about the impact of Christ, because if he wouldn't have come, there's a lot of things that we would not have. There's a, lot of, there's a state that we would be in, there's a, we'd be stuck in some certain things, and we would not be free from other things. And so there's a real-life story going on here, what it means that Christ came for us today. And Christmas is the beginning, and the results of Christmas remain on forever. So those who receive Jesus, we have the results and the benefit of Christmas of all time. Now, how many people here have sang the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, or don't like the song? Either way, you know, you know the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. We, do you ever have that thing when you come to Christmas Day, and it's over? It's over, right? I mean, for the most part, you're like, okay, when are we taking down the tree? Oh, I can't believe the people still have their lights up. Things like that, okay? Do you realize that the Twelve Days of Christmas starts Christmas Day? So the Twelve Days of Christmas go until the Epiphany, which is January 6th, and so that's the beginning of the 12 days of Christmas. So basically we're bringing back an older tradition which is saying Christmas doesn't end Christmas Day. It goes on forever. And so we want to kind of bring that on today. What does it mean for us uh, that Christ came? So it, we're going to turn to Galatians 4, 1 through 7. And we're going to talk about what it means, to, what happened before Christmas, what happens on Christmas, and what happens as a, after Christmas in our lives. First of all, let's look at uh, Galatians 4, 1 through 3. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. 
So basically, before Christ came, before we're a Christian, we have potential. We have potential as a child, but as a child, you do not have all the rights that you have in the future. You do not have everything that you can, that you, you can actualize everything. We do not have eight-year-olds that can drive. Okay, some people drive like they're eight, but they're not real eight-year-olds that are driving, okay? You can't vote until you're 18. You're still a citizen before you're 18, but they don't have the, there's that certain time, that certain time it comes. You cannot, for the most part, rent a car. You can do a little bit, but when you're 25, that's the age where you can rent a car. Um, you cannot legally sign a contract if you're below 18. And so there's things that we have, there's a potential that exists in everybody, but it's not actualized. And in the Roman times, the father decided when was the time, the right time for, the, for a person to have their actual rights. And so he's bringing this to their attention. He says everybody knows there's a right time. He was actually 25 at this time. He was 25 years old. For all of you who are complaining, I can't wait till I'm 18 or I can't. You had to wait till you're 25 to have your actual rights. And he's referring to a legal system that made sense to the Galatians. And when it was a right time for the children to receive their rightful place, but before then, they were no better than slaves, he says, because they didn't have freedom. But they had potential. They had this actual, you know that feeling. I remember distinctly being 15 and, two, and 364 days, knowing that that next day I could drive. That anticipation. Of course, I failed my driver's test. So then it was a week later, okay, that there's a little pull when you're coming out. Oh, trust me, it still sticks in me. Okay, but the concept is that, that anticipation, okay? I, I, and you say, oh, when I get to be 16, I can finally drive. I can finally have this. And so we're that way before Christ, before we become Christians, we're that way. There's a potential within us. God created everybody in his image. But we're like children. And who are we enslaved to? We are enslaved to the spiritual agencies of this world that says, the uh, elementary principles of this world or the spiritual world. I've talked about this so many times, but outside of Christ, we are enslaved to the powers of this world. You may say to yourself, I don't feel enslaved, but you don't have a choice. I mean, you're not free from sin without Christ. They, the powers have control over you. And it's, it's very clear right here, that there are agencies that are going on, the animism, the paganism, the mystery religion, even those Jews who were enslaved to the law as their salvation, they were all under the powers of this world. Have you ever tried to just break a habit? Have you ever tried to say, I don't want to do that anymore, and you just don't seem to be able to do it? Understand, outside of Christ, you are enslaved to that. Paul is very clear about this. He says, you were under the guardians and managers set by your father. When we were children, we were in... He's using the word right here, enslaved. He's not saying influence, enslaved. People, I, I am amazed constantly when people come to me and say, do you realize there are bad people in the world? And I say, well, are they Christians? No. Well, have you heard the definition of sinner? They sin. And the world is enslaved to sin because without Christ, we have no other choice. And so Christ looked at our state. He looked at us, whether they were the Gentiles or the Jews, because the Jews had the law. You say, well, the Jews knew exactly what they were supposed to do under the law, which meant they broke the law a lot of times. 
They didn't follow everything. They had to add sacrifices and things like that. So there was a need for Christ to come. Just at the right time was what he said. There's a lot of argument today, but we don't want to have people driving when they're 10. We've already talked about it. Probably not a good idea. It's probably not a good idea that you can sign a contract until you're 18. We've decided that. Because people would be signing all kinds of contracts. People would be taking advantage of We try to protect them. But it says right here, just in the right time, God's perfect timing. He knew exactly when the perfect time it was to send His Son to the world, and that happened. So we look at verse 4. It says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent for His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. This is Christmas story right here, just in a nutshell. It's very small, but he throws it in here. He says, at the right, just when the fullness of time came. What is the fullness of time? He is saying when the time was perfect. Remember we said that for a Roman it was 25 years old, that they said that's the time that you're supposed to have your rights. But um, the law had accomplished his work in the people and the testing of the people. There was a completion of an old era and the dawn of a new The time was fixed by God. He knew exactly when to send His Son. Now there's a lot of historians, or Bible historians, you realize there's a 400-year gap between Malachi and when Christ came. And people say, why didn't God send His Son earlier? Why didn't He do this? Why did He wait so long? You know what? Because God knew exactly the perfect time to send His Son to this earth. And you say, it doesn't make sense. We don't have the answer. But God does, and he understood the perfect time. As a parent, think about this as a parent. Have you ever had your kids ask you something and you had to say no to them? I guess I'm the only one. Um, Because you said, this isn't the right time, or this isn't the right place. And you feel bad about it. But God, but you have a better perspective. You've lived through it. You can see more things. And as a parent, God is looking at us and saying, Trust me, this is the perfect time, the fullness of time. The sending of his time was in the act of his redemptive work on the cross led to our adoptions as sons. So everything started right here. It says that God came, sent for his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Here's the concept of Jesus Christ being born. So why was the time so right? You know, sometimes we wonder about God's timing. Maybe you're here today and you're single and you said, I believe I should be married. I don't think God's timing is doing a good job for me. Maybe you're here today and you're looking for a job and you don't have that job yet. So I'm kind of questioning God's timing. But God's timing is perfect for you. If you trust and follow after Him, He has the right time for you. He has the right person for you. He has the right aspect for you. And if we rush God's timing, we get less than God's best. So if we think to ourselves, I'm tired of waiting I'm going to take that second rate, you know, you're a young lady, a young man. I'm going to take that second rate person that wants to date me. Trust me, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. I'm going to take that second rate this, or I'm, going to, I'm just going to circum- go through God's timing. Don't do it. Because when the fullness of time comes, God will make it in your life. Never question that, because he did it here. He predicted everything in the Old Testament leading up to the birth of Christ. But here's what's going to happen. Here's, I can tell you why, what would the fullness of time is. We look back, it was the perfect time for Christ to come. First of all, the law had done its work. The world now had a picture of what it meant to not follow after God. The law was out there. People knew God's standard. 
the Ten Commandments, and they weren't following them, but they knew what was right. The world was full of people that were spiritually starved. The worship of self, pleasure, gods, ethics, all had left many empty and barren. The mystery religions were in decline. All the religions that were out there, um, that were out, they were all in ancient Greece and in um, ancient Rome. In fact, in ancient Greece, they'd kind of given up at this time. There's some evidence that we have. And they had just taken all the gods and said, we're just going to make one altar. We don't want to spend all the time with all our gods. And Judaism was ripe for a Messiah. During the 400 silent years, the Jews had migrated to every corner of the ancient world. And they had flourished. And they had built synagogues everywhere. Well, guess what happened when Christ came and then Paul came? They had an opportunity to travel to every synagogue that was set up all over the world. The perfect time was set up. The Roman Empire was there. Um, there was a lot of things going on um, at Mars Hill in Athens in AD 50. He could refer to the altar of the unknown God because he understood the time and the people were looking for an unknown God. They were looking for something new. There was a lot of moral decline going on at this time. People were looking for something better and they looked at their own world and they said there must be something better. There's got to be something else that we can follow. The world into which Christ came it was a world that Paul described so graphically in Romans 1. A world that knew the truth, but supposed it, suppressed it, ignored it, ignored the true God, turned to idolatry. It was a world that was given over to paganism, sexual immorality, homosexuality, murder, perversion, dishonesty, and brutality. A world of broken promises, broken dreams, broken homes, and broken hearts. And into that darkness, God, God shined a light in a stable in an obscure village called Bethlehem. In other words, God looked and he knew they have now reached the point where they can understand what I'm about to send them. Another thing is the world was under the peace of the Roman rule. There's an era called Pax Romana, Caesar Augustus, uh, better known as Octavius also, but all of this was there and all of this was set up. And Paul, what was Paul's way that he got around? He said, I am a Roman citizen. So Paul was able to travel all over the known world and travel. Right now you can't do it. He didn't need a passport. He could walk on roads that were protected by Roman soldiers. It was all set up. God knew the right time. And also the world spoke a common language that everybody could understand. If we were trying to evangelize the world today, it's very difficult because for the most part people speak different languages. At this time throughout the Roman Empire, they spoke Greek and Latin was starting to come on. But when Paul sat down to write the Bible, here he is, a Jewish man that would have had Hebrew, supposedly, as his language, writing in Greek because he knew everybody in the empire could understand Greek. The right time. God knew this. There wasn't 700 different translations. Could you imagine if Paul had to sit down, okay, now here's the Chinese version, here's this version, here's the Spanish version, here's the German version. No, he sent out the Greek version and everybody understood it. But when the fullness of time come, came, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. And He knew that this was the right time. So God sent forth His Son. Jesus left His place of prominence and privilege in heaven to dwell in the womb of a young woman from Nazareth. How the angels must have trembled with awe. The creator of the universe was carried about in a woman's womb. I mean, here, here He is. The master and creator of everything. Now in a young virgin mother. 
just taking his place. So God sent forth his son. He didn't send forth his son with a lightning bolt and say, well, here's my son. He's 14 feet tall and he's got lightning bolts coming out of his hand. You better listen. Okay? That's probably what I would have done. Okay? Bring it on, buddy. But no, he sent him in the perfect way because he knew the way that he would be accepted the best. He was born of a woman. Speaks of his humanity. Speaks of his humanity. Christ came as a baby and grew up as a, as a real child. Christ fell down and skinned his knees. Okay? Christ cried in the middle of the night. The second verse of Wayne and Major, don't get me started. It, Jesus cried. Okay? Because he was fully human. Fully human. Born of a woman. And he himself was called the Son of of man born of a son he was god sent forth his son son of man born of a woman this is vital it means jesus understood what exactly what it's like to be a person he understands every hurt every fear everything that you have in your life today jesus christ understands he understands what it's like to be born in difficult situations people say you don't know my home life okay could you imagine the scandal around um, jesus at this time Okay, here's the story. Sometimes you hear stories and you're like, yeah, right. How about this one? Well, who's your dad? Well, I have a dad, but I was actually born of a virgin mom. And my dad really didn't know her and have sex with her before we got married. And okay, sure. Think of the scandal. We don't take, make light, take that highly enough. The scandal must have been huge. Yeah, there's the kid who thinks his dad is God. Okay. There's the kid, that, and there's Joseph who, yeah, Joseph doesn't understand. I, I, I mean, there had to have been this huge. He, he was born, he had to flee and, into Egypt, and he had to, and all of these things were happening. He knew what it was like. He was, he knew what it's like to be tempted. You know what's important to understand is that Satan is not necessarily in this room today. Because it says in the Bible that Satan can roam around the earth. Which means Satan could be here, but he could be another place. But he has all his agents working in here. You know where Satan was the entire time Jesus was here? Probably attached to his hip. So he was getting the full bore of all of Satan. When it says he went to the wilderness, you know who tempted him? Satan himself. And the Bible says that he was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. Hebrews 4.15 puts it this way. For we do not have a high priest, this is Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He has been tempted like you are. You need to understand that Christ came and he understands. When you go to Christ and you say, Lord, I'm really struggling with this temptation, there's no way you can understand. Jesus understands. Why did he come as a baby? Because he wanted to live a life for us as an example. He did all of this so he could be tempted like we are and understand. You don't think there was probably sexual sin in his life? This man was probably a charismatic person, probably had all kinds of women that wanted to be with him. Yet he was tempted, yet was without sin. His ego could have gone huge. Jesus, you're the greatest, you're the greatest. I am the greatest, hey, look at me. He was tempted, yet was without sin. He could have taken shortcuts. He could have done a lot of things, but he didn't do it, and he gives us the example. 
Also it says that Jesus was born under the law. Which is kind of ironic since Jesus and God are the creators of the law. But he put himself under the law, which meant that he was under the requirements of it. But what's interesting is he didn't need to have the law because he was perfect in every way. He never broke any aspects of the law. In fact, he showed us that he could fulfill the law. And because Jesus fulfilled the law, we are no longer under it. He fulfilled everything about it. So he came down. Matthew 5, 17 says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill them. Christ showed us that it, how to do it, and he fulfilled them so that we are no longer the curse of the law. The curse of the law is that we must follow every aspect of it. Guess what? You can't do it. But Christ came, fulfilled it, so that we can be free and follow after his way. Jesus had more in his mind than coming to earth and giving us a holiday. God had a great purpose for Christ's coming. God had planned this event before the earth was formed. Now the time was right, and Christ came. Just think about that. He knew exactly what to do. Born under the law, born under sin, born from a woman, tempted in every way. This is who God was. So what, do we, what happens after Christmas or because of Christmas? Look at verse 5. Why did he come? So that he might redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, saying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The word redeemed here, remember we talked about that you were enslaved before you are a Christian? The word redeemed here is the word for bought out of slavery. You were purchased out of slavery. You are no longer in bondage to sin. And that is a lie I think that we need to break. We think that, well, we're just bound to this. We're bound to this sin. We are not in bondage. Christ has redeemed us. Does that mean we don't sin anymore? No. Does that mean we have to sin? No. We're not in bondage anymore. It's a different world that we have. And slaves throughout the time could buy their own freedom, but it was difficult. Um, but, and so here he is saying the redemption is possible because of him, because of Christ. And we are redeemed from the law, from the slave market of sin, from the clutches of the spirits. All the things that are going on from the law, the spirits, all the things that think they own us and did have enslavement over us are now broken. And we are in, we are in Christ. So we might receive adoption. Adoption here refers to the present state of, of sonship or, or daughtership, according to believers, um, become heirs of Christ. We are now children of Christ. It says in the book of John that those who received him became, have the right to be called children of Christ or children of God. We are now called his children. And because of this, we have great opportunity in him. We have greatness because we are now his children. We are children of the living God. This was a common practice at this time to adopt people. In fact, in, this, in the Roman period that we're talking about, Julius Caesar adopted his great-nephew Octavius to make him the next emperor. Well, he didn't adopt him when he was a kid. He adopted him when he was an adult. This was a practice that would happen. Hey, I'm going to adopt that person. They're going to be now my heir. They're going to take on my name. So you'd pick your own children. Hey, my children, the ones that I did have, I don't really want, so I'm going to grab another one. Okay, kind of an interesting point of view. But they understood the fact that you could be adopted like that. So what are the privileges of adoption? 
I think verse, if you go back to chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. One of the things that Christ does with our adoption is he breaks down the barriers. He breaks down the barriers that have been created. You know, everybody at this time, all the religions at this time were set up, even in Judaism, you can't come into our religion. This is only for this group of people or this skin color or this money or female or male. You know what Christianity is about? It's about the fact that everybody, no matter what color their skin, no matter what gender, no matter anything like that, we can be followers of Jesus Christ. And not only that, we, don't, we are not separate, we are together. Because you think about it, if you're related, you're related. Okay? Now sometimes you look at your relatives and you're proud that you're related to somebody. Okay? When you're about to spend some time with your relatives, there's some you're more proud of. I've always heard this, if you look around and can't find the weird relative, you're it. Okay? Just for the record, I just wanted to let you know that if you can't find that person. So. But if you're related to somebody, it means that you share a bond with them. Because there are people that sometimes we maybe don't get along with them, but we hold, stand behind them because they're our blood relative. And think about that. Everybody who is under the name of Christ, no matter what they look like, who they are, where they work, doesn't matter. We are now related. So there can be no division because we are united in Christ and we are all adopted. So there was, in fact, at this, in the Hellenistic world, the religions would pray this prayer. They would pray a prayer to their gods, allowing them to be, for thanking them for allowing them to be born as human beings and not beasts, Greeks and not barbarians, citizens and not slaves, and men and not women. That was their prayer on a, on a, when they went to the temple. Thank God I'm none of those things. In the middle of the second century, you even got into the uh, Jewish religion where they'd say, Blessed art thou, O Lord, our King, who has not made me a foreigner, he was praying to God, who has not made me a slave, and who has not made me a woman. Even Jews were praying that. And so it's important to understand that Christ broke down this, and there is no break anymore between, uh, between the different uh, races. There is no anything between different people groups that we are all together. It's important to understand also what it means that we are adopted. John Fountain is a professor of journalism at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. He was formerly a national correspondent in the New York Times. And this is his testimony in the NPR series, This I Believe. He says, I believe in God, not that cosmic, intangible spirit in the sky that Mama told me as a little boy was always, always was and always will be, but the God who embraced me when Daddy disappeared from our lives from my life at age four, the night the police led him down the stairs, away from our front door in handcuffs. The God who warmed me when we could see our breath inside our freezing apartment, when the gas was disconnected in the dead of another wind-whipped Chicago winter, and there was no food, little hope, and no hot water. The God who held my hand when I witnessed boys in my hood, swallowed by the elements, by death and by hopelessness, who claimed me when I felt like no man's son, amid the absence of any man to wrap his arms around me and tell me everything's going to be okay, to speak proudly of me and to call me son. I believe in God, God the Father embodied in Son Jesus Christ, the God who allowed me to feel His presence, whether by that warmth that filled my belly like hot chocolate on a cold afternoon, or that voice whenever I found myself in the tempest of life storms, telling me, 
even when I told, even when I was told I was nothing, that I was something, that I was his, that amid the desertion of a man who would give me his name and DNA and little ounce, I might find him and find in Christ sustenance. I believe in God, the God who, who I have known as, as father, as Abba, as daddy. It wasn't until my later years, standing over my father's grave for a conversation long over dear, that my tears flowed. I told him about the man I had become. I told him about how much I wished he had been in my life. And I realized fully that in his absence, I had found another, or that he, God the Father, God my Father, had found me. It's important that we understand that everybody here has a father now. Whether it's this person who had his father walk out when he was four. It doesn't matter. We are all adopted now. We have God as Father. Yes, it still hurts. I'm not trying to say it doesn't hurt anymore or anything like that. But we are never left alone because God has adopted us. The last thing Paul says in verse 6 and 7 is that by His Spirit, by His Spirit, and now because we are, and because you are sons, God has sent His Spirit of the Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. God's Spirit has entered us. God's Spirit has come into us, and we have become Him. We become like Him. We are no longer a slave. We are now able to look up to Christ and say, Abba, Father, which means you can go up to your Father and you can approach Him like someone who cares for you. I've always said that you can ask your Father for things you can't ask other people for. You can ask your Father because He cares for you. And the intimacy that it says right here in Abba, Father, is an intimate term of the Father who loves you enough to care for you. And we do not receive, Romans 8.15 puts it this way, for you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit as adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You know, most religions, you are not a child of God. You are somebody who has to bow down and fall on your face, and God just is an impersonal force out there. Our God, the true God, is the one that loves you enough to wrap his arms around you at any time and comfort you. The God that is there every moment of every day never lets you down. Hope now and forever. So now you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You know, it's interesting. We went from slaves to this world to an heir of God. What does it mean to be an heir? Well, I've checked. I am not Bill Gates' heir. It would be nice, okay? Or Warren Buffett, okay? It'd be nice if you were written into that will. And all of a sudden, a big check arrived, right? And he said, oh, I, well, you know, Uncle Warren died, and I've got a billion dollars in my checkbook now. Okay? But you are an heir of the God who created heaven and earth. You have a future. You have a piece of the kingdom. God has made you his heir, which means you are joint heirs with Jesus. You understand that? You're connected to him. We have hope that no matter what happens in this world, death, life, anything, nothing can separate us from the love of God, that we are heirs of the kingdom. When, one, when a Christian dies, you know what happens? They receive their inheritance. That's it. Now, do we miss that person? Are we sad about it? Yes but they receive their inheritance. 
We have a great deal going on right here, everybody. Because of Christmas, we have been made joint heirs. We have been made, all of us have a piece of heaven that is in our future and it is guaranteed to us because we are heirs. We are somebody that can't be written out. We are written into Christ's book and we are with him forever. Why don't you stand with me right now? For our prayer ministers to come forward. If you're here today and you've never made the commitment to Jesus Christ, you've never made him the master of your life, you've never received God's spirit, you've never been adopted as sons, the Bible is very clear that we need to come to him. And we need to believe in our heart that, that he is Lord, which means he's the master of everything. We need to believe that, he was risen, that he's risen from the dead. And we need to confess our sins and say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. And I want to be free from my sins. I want to have my sins taken away so that I can be set free. You, notice, you understand the terms? People always say, I want to follow Christ. I want to follow Christ, but I don't want to be enslaved to some religion or something like that. No, 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 it's the opposite way around. You're enslaved right now outside of Christ. Christ redeems you. See the different term there? He is here to redeem you. He is here to free you. When you follow Christ's way, you are set on the path that you were supposed to be. So if you're here today and you've never made that commitment, today is the day to make that commitment. Say, I'm going to follow after Christ. I'm not going to follow after this world. I'm not going to follow after my own instincts. Because if you're enslaved and don't have freedom, you can't even trust your own instincts. You have to trust what God has called you to do because He loves you and cares for you. But for everybody else here, I want you to do something. I want you to understand the fact that as we enter this Christmas season, there's a lot of people. And a lot of people you meet, maybe it's a relative or some friend, they're hurting. They're enslaved to sin. They're struggling. And they need to hear the good news that God sent His Son at the fullness of time, born of a woman under the law, to set us free and to, call, and to adopt us as his children. And this is available to anyone that will come to him. Anyone that will do that. And it's up to us to bring that gospel to other people. The other thing I want you to know, if you're here living less than you're supposed to be, if you're still here letting sin drag you down and allowing sin to still be the master of your life, thinking... Well, I don't want to go too far to God. I want to kind of keep my foot both ways. You know what? Don't let slavery pull you back. Don't let the enslavement of sin pull you back. Go towards God. He has the best plan for you. He has what it takes for you. Don't fall back into that. So if you're here today and you need someone to pray with you, maybe it's about salvation, maybe it's about another need. John brought up the fact that we believe that God, no matter what is going in your life, God is here to answer your needs. God is your Abba Father, your intimate Father. You can go up and ask your dad anything. Okay? And he's going he's gonna to listen because he loves you that much and he has adopted you. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you that you are with us, God. We thank you that because of you being coming to this world, God, that we can be children of God. We can be adopted as sons and daughters of you, God. What a privilege. We can be united as one. We can be connected as one, God. We are, the, the barriers are broken down. We're all children of you, God. And we just thank you for this today. God, let us live in this hope. Let us not live less than we're supposed to be. 
Lord, we just ask this now in the name of Jesus that you will take us and keep us, Lord, and bring us into what you have us to do, God. Keep us on your path. And lead us not into temptation, God, but deliver us from evil, God, because we are not supposed to stay in our old ways, God. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you'd like to come and pray with somebody, our prayer ministers are available. If you'd like to uh, have a, help deliver a present, you can meet in that back room over here. <laughs>